This is Missing Out from the African Short Story Collection, edited by Helen Havila. Missing Out is a great story. There are many very interesting ideas in this one. And the tension that runs throughout it is really wonderful. And it's really developed well by, by this author. The tension is between a modernized civilization, a highly technical Western society, versus a more social, organic, natural way of life in Sudan. Uh, the opening paragraph sets up the tension nicely. Let's take a look at this opening paragraph. Uh, missing out. Sorry, I'm just flipping there now. In his first term at college in London, Maggi wrote letters home announcing that he would not make it, threatening that he would give up and return. To call him on the phone, his mother made several trips to the central post office in Khartoum, sat for hours on the low wooden bench, fanning her face with the edge of her tobe in the stifling heat, shooing away the barefooted children who passed by with loaded trays trying to sell her chewing gum, hairpins, and matches. Get away from my face, she snapped at the girl who had edged by her side and was almost leaning on her lap. Didn't I just tell you I don't want your stuff? On the third day, she got through, wedged herself into a cubicle, but did not close the glass door behind her. Well, there's there's something great here, and, and the details are embedded nicely, right? Notice the mother's journey to the post office. Uh, notice the mother's journey just to make one phone call how much she has to go through just to get that phone call. It's the third day. The third day she, she tries to get, she makes this trip three times, several trips, it says, uh, sitting for hours, fanning her face. I mean, it's just very painful and difficult to make a call to London, uh, to her son in London. She in Sudan, he in London. For him, just walk downstairs, pick up the phone and call. For her, Days and days, hours and hours. So again, the contrast begins right away in this story between these two societies, these two different civilizations, if you will. One very advanced and one not. So as most people believe, the more advanced civilization is better, right? In every way, we would think that London, civilization in London would be better than the civilization or the society in Sudan. We would assume that quality of life is better in the highly technological society of London than, um, than life in Sudan, in Khartoum. And this story seems to upend those expectations. It seems to uh, deconstruct that idea that life in the civilized world is better. So this young man, as he, as he continues that next paragraph, um, Maggie's throat tightened when he heard her voice. In the cool corridor of the hostel, he held the receiver and leaned his head against the wall, hiding his face in the crook of his arm. The students who passed him walked a little bit quicker, felt a little bit awkward, hearing his voice heavy with tears, unnaturally loud, foreign words they could not understand, echoing and hanging around the walls. Again, notice the different scenarios, right? Here for the, for the mother, who's in Khartoum, in Sudan, uh, at the post office, there's a little girl who's buzzing about her, who's leaning on her. You have a very closely connected society, a society that, um, yeah, is very closely connected and dependent. People depend upon each other. Although he, she shoes the little girl away, you just see the close proximity, the connection physically between people in Sudan. 
By contrast, you see these other students who pass by walking quicker, keeping their distance, avoiding him, noticing foreign words because he is a quote-unquote foreigner. He is an other, not connected or just disconnected from their society. Again, so these are the things that the author sets up for us right out the gates. Layla Abu Layla is the author's name. Layla Abu Layla. And the way she sets it up is, is very strategic in this regard. Right out the gates, the connectedness, the warmth, the sacrifice that, that exists in Sudan, in that Sudanese community, the disconnection, the cold, the gray walls, and so forth, the cool corridor of the hostel. Again, very different. Uh, the echoing of the walls at the hostel as well. Well, that next paragraph is another good one. There in Khartoum, she also, in her own way, could not understand what he was saying. All this talk about the work being difficult was, of course, nonsense. Her son was brilliant. Her son always came top of his class. She had a newspaper photograph of him at 16 when he got one of his highest marks in the secondary school certificate, shaking the now-deposed president's hand. Those little subtle inserts there of, of historical detail are interesting. His father had slain a sheep in celebration and distributed the meat among the beggars who slept outside the nearby mosque. Wonderful detail here again, right? So she has this, this photograph, a newspaper photograph, right, that she has kept and she uses that as, as a way to remember and honor her son's achievement. Um, her son was, was celebrated at the highest level of society uh, by the president of the nation. Again, a connection between people in this society. And then her father's connection. So part of the celebration for his grades, for Maggie's uh, success on this test, was that his father would slay or, or kill a sheep and distribute the, the, the meat among those who are a part of their mosque or community, the community of Muslims that they live with. Um, his sisters had thrown a party for him, heady with singing and dancing, and she had circled the pot of burning incense over his head, made him step over it back and forth to ward off the envy and malice that were surely cloaking him. Um, it goes on to describe the way the community came around them to celebrate with them his great success. Once again, that is the, 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 the great connection between people in this society. Um, so that, that, that brings up a key tension, right? Connection versus disconnection. And that's that beautiful description of, of emotion as Maggi speaks with his mother on the phone. Um, another tension here is East versus West. I don't normally just, I don't normally refer to, to Africa as being part of the East. Um, that's not a common uh, descriptor, but um, you get the point, right? The West is, is London, the typical Western society. Uh, you wouldn't describe... Um, East Africa as being, uh, or, or Sudanese uh, community as being part of the typical Western society. So in that way, we have an East versus West. Um, the cultural elements described are wonderful for building a strong contrast between his life in the West and his life back at home in the East in Sudan. How does someone bridge this gap without some major strains of their emotional system? And that's a good question, right? How does an African man travel all the way to the West without some major strains on his emotional system? And, and the story kind of shows those strains. It shows the struggles of a man from Africa trying to make a life for himself in London. Um, there are struggles that we probably wouldn't have recognized, right? And that's, that's how art 
can can allow us to to grow in empathy and understanding for others. Um, on page two fifteen, I don't know if I just read this or not. Oh yeah, I just read this. Uh, that's that's the struggle that he's having there, right? Being feeling disconnected. Um, but his mother has a great idea, um, and I love the way the author paints the relationship between mother and son in this story. The mother is very traditional, yet somehow she knows her son deeply. And that's something that comes across very clear. She knows him. And no matter the distance, she can read him and she can tell what he needs. And it's a wonderful picture, right? The mother represents in some way cultural connection. Um, the mother represents the health that comes from being connected to one's culture. So what does the mother know? The mother knows that he needs a wife. I love that. Um, my poor son, all alone in London, needs a wife. And that was how Maggi came to marry Samra. After banging his head against books, working the proofs again and again, copying curvaceous lambdas, gamdas, sigmas from the blackboard and into the whirling mass of his dreams, he was ready to sit for his qualifying exam. In June, he flew to Khartoum. In July, he received the good news that he had passed. And by the end of summer, he was returning to London accompanied by his new bride. Now this whole section begins a whole new kind of level of tension, right? Where you have Samra, she represents his culture back at home in Sudan, um, and she's coming into his very home there. Uh, whereas before it was, it was Maggi kind of against everyone else in London and being separated from all of them. Now she comes into his very home and, and looks around and sees in some ways why he has struggled because he has failed to bring any of his culture from back home into his life and into his home in London. And so Samra is one of her key things is her key questions is where's your prayer mat? Uh, let's take a look at that section on 218. Oh, I do love when he, when he describes how he first seen her, she was part of a, a, uh, a demonstration on campus and she has her own kind of strengths that are, are different, right? She is a, an independent thinker and she's established kind of in that way as being part of those student demonstrations, which is interesting. Um, but then, so she asks here on page, oh, I'm sorry, on uh, 219, where's your prayer mat? She asked. I don't have one, Maggie said. He was lying in bed enjoying his return to the particular quiet of London. The patch of moving gray sky he could see from the window, the swish of cars on wet roads. It was as if Khartoum had been grinding around him in a perpetual hum, and now that humming sound was pleasantly absent. Well, what do you use instead? She was already holding a towel. Where's the Qibla? He would not he would need to figure out the direction of the Kaaba. These are all all details about Mecca, right? The a Muslim um, person, a Muslim religious person, I guess that's kind of redundant. A Muslim will face Mecca when they do the prayer, right? So from Britain, Mecca was southeast, of course, because Saudi Arabia was southeast. So in this particular room, which direction would she face? Where exactly was the southeast? I can't believe it, she said. You've been here a whole year without praying? Yes, he had. And, and this one, he's actually kind of mean to her, right? And he, he calls her stupid and he hurts her feelings and, uh, and he feels bad about it because she is a gentle person and she simply wants to serve him and love him. And yet she is very honest about her culture and her, and her cultural connection. She values that culture as I think he does too, 
but he doesn't show it. He doesn't do anything about it. He is simply Muslim or, yeah, Muslim in name, but he does not practice. And, and in some ways, this story might lead us to believe that that is why he is feeling lonely, disconnected, and empty in London. He uh, asks himself that same question on 2.20. Was he not a believer? Yes, in a half-hearted way he was, but he was also lazy and disinterested. Here in London, Maggie argued, praying was a distraction, an interruption, and most of all, because of the changing times that followed the movement of the sun rather than the hands of the clock, praying was inconvenient. Don't talk to me about this again, he finally said, drawing her towards him. Don't nag. So... There's something fascinating here about a disconnection from culture, disconnection from religion, um, disconnection from disconnection from family that it seems to wear on Maggi in an unhealthy way. Uh, Samra uh, brings health, brings vitality, brings peace and structure into his life in London, and he rejects it at first. There is some tension here as Samra fights against some of the assimilation, assimilation that Maggi falls right into. For Maggi, the traditions of Khartoum or Sudan in Sudan are oppressive, a perpetual hum, he calls it, that was pleasantly absent in London. And yet, is it just simply because he's lazy? He is lazy and there he, therefore he loses his connection with his culture and he suffers for it. A little side note, um, when you talk about being a Muslim, in Muslim Islamic society, you don't ask someone if they're a Muslim. You ask them if they say the prayers uh, because Muslim is a religion of practice. Um, and so that's that's an interesting thing, right? So he, now that he doesn't say the prayers anymore, is he really a Muslim at all? And, and, she, and she, Samra, would probably say no, that he has seriously backslidden. Um, so... Here on page uh, on 220, there's an interesting phrase that, that gets picked up at the end, so it's worth mentioning here too. Um, she held the day up with pegs, five prayers, five pegs. The movement of the sun was marked, the day was mapped, and Maggi felt his life become more structure, structured, his time more blessed. In their cramped room, Samra's prayer mat took up a large portion of the floor. The old tobe she covered herself with dropped over it in a coiled heap. Um, so this is an important thing. as he, Although he rejects it at first, um, although he pushes against it and sees it as, an, as, a, as a nagging, he sees it as a, an inconvenience, he does notice here that his life becomes more structured and his time more blessed. Because religion and traditions often require that we slow down, that we mark time with significant moments. And in the Islamic tradition, you mark each day with five set prayers. That's, that's a lot of structuring. That's a lot of pausing. That's a lot of time to stop and reflect. And once again, that is a difference between the Sudanese culture and the culture in London. The culture in our modern civilization right here, even in Orange County, um, in California and in the United States is fast paced. We don't stop. Uh, and later on in this story, she talks about what she imagines life being like back in Sudan together. And, uh, and she talks about, you know, on a rainy day, will they not stop lectures? And will not the weather sometimes keep us from having the lectures or work or 
Doesn't nature interrupt? And, he's, and he says, no, because this is modern civilization. In modern civilization, nothing stops progress. Nothing stops the forward press of progress. <laughs> and so we have to ask ourselves, is that a good thing? Or is that destructive to the human soul? It says here on page uh, 224. Uh, is this what I want to? Well, actually, no, it's here on 225. Most times, though, he could not understand how she was not excited by the opportunities their new life held, how she could not admire the civilized way that people went about their business here, their efficiency and decency, ambulances and fire engines that never let anyone down, the way a debit card could slide through a wedge on the wall and crisp cash emerge. These things impressed her, but not for long. She exclaimed at how the pigeons and ducks in the park were left unmolested, no one captured them to eat them, but instead of enjoying their beauty, she brooded over how poor her own people were. So it's interesting the contrasts here, right? The efficiency that he seems to celebrate, she sees no real glory in. She doesn't, she doesn't love it. Um, and in this Western world is not attractive to her in that way. Um, where is this section where she begins to... Um, she begins to talk about what she imagines their life being like back in Sudan. Um, there it is. Um, well, he actually sees her own homesickness as perverse, which is kind of weird. He does not enter into her struggle at all. Uh, he really just doesn't allow himself to, to empathize with her in the least. Um, let's see. He says here on page 227, we are centuries behind, he would tell her. And things like that, we are too far behind ever to catch up. And while she had sat in her dressing gown, immobile, ignoring hunger and thirst, he had entered the mind of that other mathematician, following his logic. And when finding an error, the subscript for Lambda should have been T1 and not T, a typing error or more serious slip from the writer, he had been infused with a sense of pleasure. His logic um, makes him see the Western society as superior, but is he really understanding what is better and why? That's a key question. So um, at the end here, she ends up having to leave because she just she just can't handle it and she's deteriorating. She, she doesn't see the value in this Western society. And so um, it says here at the end... Um, Uh, it says here uh, on page 229, he was taken aback. Um, marrying Samra had helped him feel settled and comfortable, well-fed and looked after. He had liked working late into the night, kept company by her presence, the click of the spoon as she stirred sugar and tea, the chiming of her bangles, her movement when she stood up to pray in the early summer dawn. Did she complain about anything? No. His mother's voice was casual. She just mentioned that you don't pray. Oh, he could not think of a reply. The corridor of the hostel was empty. He stared at the vending machine, which sold chocolates and drinks. Samra had been fascinated by this machine. She had tried to get it to work with Sudanese coins. He missed her. So his mother, again, is, is, is calling and, and reading his mind, as she always does. She knows that he is suffering and struggling. She sent this woman 
to be of support. And, and she was. She held up his days in a way with these pillars, these prayers. <coughs> she helped him find a, a new blessing in time and to slow down. And yet he could not allow her to live at peace there. He continued to kind of rail against her and reject her traditional views. So we get to the end. Um, and I love the way this thing ends. Back in his room, Maggi noticed the silence. The floor looked strangely larger. Samra had folded her prayer mat and put it away in her side of the cupboard. She had not needed to take it with her. In Khartoum, there were plenty of other mats. Mats with worn, faded patches in those places where people pressed their foreheads and stood with wet feet. Maggi opened the cupboard and touched the smooth velvet material. It stirred in him a childish sense of exclusion, of being left out like a pleasure he had denied himself and now forgotten the reasons why. I love that sense, right? Something stirs in him. Uh, something was stirring in him when he recognized that in, with her, time was more blessed because she took the time to stop and appreciate through traditional practices. Um, she had held the day up with pegs. Not only her day, but his too. Five pegs. And now the morning billowed into afternoon, into night, unmarked. So here he's missing her, as it says just, just above there. And, and, and here he is missing the way that she enriched his life. And that's kind of an important word, I think, the idea of enriching, right? Um, this author uses the five senses beautifully in terms of the enrichment of uh, of the atmosphere, the smells, the sounds, the practices, the actions, the, the structure of a prayer life, the structure of, of, of traditions, and the, and the benefits of a life that is lived slower, uh, or more slowly, I should say. And, um, and so here, Maggie, longing for her at the end, and, and I imagine this is this whole story kind of points now to his movement back home, his movement back toward his culture, giving up on things in London, and then moving back to a place of more rich cultural connection. All right.